Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's Let's start start with with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. On our episode today, I want to share with you more doctors, more stories. It's so easy to think that most doctors don't believe in the afterlife when I actually think they do. But doctors are just like you and me. By nature of being a human being, we need people to like us or at least get along with us. And to do controversial things and share controversial beliefs, that ego voice that we all have wants to keep us safe. So it tells us, better not share what we think. We may lose friends. We may lose families. These are some stories of doctors who are not afraid to share their beliefs. So this one comes from Lubbock, Texas. Some doctors admit they don't like to talk about end-of-life experiences for fear they may be ridiculed, but we found one doctor who wanted to share all that she has seen and heard on her last day of work before retiring. 
For more than 20 years, Dr. Melanie Oblander has walked the halls of hope, treating patients with cancer and other life-threatening illnesses, trying at least to ease their pain. She says each cross on the wall tells a story, a gift from the family who leaves this tribute to the one they have lost. Some stories bring a chuckle, others pull at your heartstrings. She pulls one cross off the wall and explains, They took her favorite teapot, busted it, and set it in this cross in honor of her. Dozens of crosses are buried into the walls of this palliative care unit at Covenant Health System. Each brings an end-of-life experience that Dr. Oblander says has changed her life, especially the children who have passed. She says, They tell me things like they had seen a guest in the room. At first, I was like, Who came into your room in the middle of the night? Dr. Oblander admits she began this career with the DNA of a doctor, but she says she has seen too much to ignore. This one girl told me two men came into her room and went. Dr. Oblander then mimics her hand as if she's motioning for someone to come on in. Some might hear stories like that and think the patient is showing signs of delirium. The difference, according to hospice experts, is the clear-headed narrative that comes when patients explain an end-of-life experience. Dr. Oblander gives another example. She said they were high up on the wall, and she told them, I'm not ready. And then they just bowed and nodded and left. There was another young child who had just a short time to live. Her grandmother was sitting beside her on the bed. When Dr. Oblander walked into the room, the grandmother told the child to explain what she had just seen. The girl told Dr. Oblander, Jesus came and sat with me. Dr. Melanie Oblander says people see amazing things before death, like a man in the room dressed in a robe. She says the kids are convincing, but she has heard just as many convincing stories from adults at the end of their life. She says, You'll see them reach out to pull whoever is up there to them that takes my breath away. Some of you know my father died 13 months ago. I remember seeing him reach into the air just like that, as if he were trying to touch someone. Sometimes he would say, who is that over there on the ladder? But there was no one. Of course, no ladder in the room. Ten months later, my mother died in September. Toward the end, I remember her telling me clearly on two different occasions, Ellis came to see me today. We had a nice visit. Ellis was her brother, but he had died several months earlier. I didn't share my personal stories with Dr. Oblander, but she shared this rhetorical question with me. So why is it over and over and over? It's about someone coming to your room and giving you peace or your mother or brother is on the other side, beckoning you. Dr. Oblener says she would not have an answer to that earlier in her career, but she does now. With tears in her eyes, she said, there is a God. I'm positive. And now I realize God does not inflict pain and cancer. And he didn't blow up the Twin Towers. He was there when we were there and said, Come on, I gotcha. And I thank the kids for that because they taught it to me. I'm sure you'll remember a few episodes back with Dr. Christopher Kerr and his book, Death is But a Dream. 
I find it so comforting that it is normal for around the last month of our life and up to the point when we pass that our dreams become vivid dreams of our loved ones and we are convinced that they are there with us. They want to take us on a trip. They have joy in their eyes and they want us to come with them, taking away that fear. So I get it when Dr. Oblander says, yes, there is a God. Here's another story for you. In 2001, Dr. Linda Kramer was medically pronounced dead for nearly 15 minutes after visiting her bathroom in the early hours of the 6th of May. Miraculously, paramedics managed to revive her, but during the time she was being treated, she claims that she felt like she had been in the afterlife for half a decade. Speaking to the YouTube channel NDE Diary, Kramer says that in heaven, time did not exist how we would traditionally perceive it. By determining that she can walk around three to six miles per hour on earth, she used that measurement to figure out how much time she had spent in heaven. On her journey, she discovered that she could take any form and also become other people she had met while in heaven. In addition, she could transport herself to a specific location just by thinking about it. However, the most memorable part was the stunning visuals that she saw. That's when I found myself standing in what I termed a field of flowers. I was observing the mountain range 30,000 times huger than Mount Everest. There's a huge mountain range over the back of wherever I was. I could see buildings with skyscrapers. Dubai are like little miniature huts in comparison. I saw lakes. I could see everything in a panoramic view. That was Dr. Linda Kramer. And here is from Dr. Rosenberg from Round Lake, Illinois. Cold, pain, and fear. That's what Humberto Cassis felt when his chest started hurting during a bike ride last winter. The only thing he could do as he waited for the ambulance was to pray. When I started praying, all this fear and the cold and the pain in my arms, it went away and I experienced peace, he said. He was rushed to St. Catherine's Hospital in Wisconsin, where cardiologist Dr. Michael Rosenberg met him for the first time on the operating table. Humberto asked Dr. Rosenberg, is this a life or death situation? The doctor looked at him and said, yes, yes it is. Humberto felt at that point his life was ending. Dr. Rosenberg confirmed that he had the Widowmaker Legion. He suffered two cardiac arrests. His heart stopped. What happened next was Humberto's incredible experience of dying and entering paradise, the path that leads you to heaven. Humberto also remembers the unimaginable feeling of peace, rest, and relief that washed over him, like the feeling you get after a long, long day of work, but 1,000 times more wonderful. It's a beautiful feeling, he said. Your soul just lets go. Your soul keeps following the light, the light of God. This is where you feel life starts. While Humberto was on his heavenly sojourn, he remembers looking down and seeing his children on the couch. His wife then talks about how, after his recovery, he told the story to his children, and they started crying and said, Dad, that's where we were sitting the whole time and praying for you. 
Humberto emphatically discounts the idea. Some may say that he was dreaming or hallucinating because he says the experience is engraved in my soul. Dr. Rosenberg confirms that other patients have described to him their near-death experiences. Humberto has a joyful and hopeful message for all those mourning the death of a loved one. They don't need you to worry because they are in a very good place. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you will know that the latest research has come out that near-death experiences are extraordinary experiences, and they are definitely not hallucinations. Also, recently, what's come out is that when people do have these near-death experiences, they go into what's called a gamma brainwave state, similar to the gamma state that long-time meditators who feel they reach enlightenment hit that same stage. And some of the latest research I've talked about, not just recently, was doctors experiencing when some people had died, no matter what their brain state was, at the time their heart stopped beating, their brain waves shifted to this gamma state. So what that tells me is that state of being connected to all of reality happens when we pass. It's exciting stuff. So death itself is nothing to be feared. No one wants the pain, I realize that. But when we do pass, it is as simple as closing our eyes and opening them again to our loved ones, our pets, guides, and a world that we can't even imagine right now like our world on steroids. Beautiful. Dr. Raymond Moody says, I have absolutely no fear of death. From my near-death research and my personal experiences, death is, in my judgment, simply a transition into another kind of reality. Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I've told my children that when I die, to release balloons into the sky to celebrate that I have graduated. For me, death is simply a graduation. It's time to head for our first break. And when we come back, we're going to hear some stories from doctors who believe in the afterlife. I've got lots in store for you, so you just keep on the listening. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Shades today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Shades. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. Next, I'd like you to hear the story of Dr. Lottie Valentine. So the first one happened after my third child was born. And this child was born between a 7.4 and a 7.2 earthquake. My life flashed before my eyes. And I really thought that that was the moment I was going to die. Everything in the unit, in the hospital uh, labor ward was shaking. All the tools on the steel trays were shaking and they were levitating up and down. And my labor actually stopped. After about 30 minutes, I gave birth and then we had a 7.2 earthquake. As soon as they gave me the baby to hold, I started leaning backwards and just screaming for my husband, take the baby, take the baby. I was in so much pain. There was a lot of blood clots that came out and the midwives and the nurses were massaging my abdomen to try and get all these clots to come out. And they kept me in the hospital for an extra day to make sure that the bleeding had calmed down and everything looked good and sent me on my way. Well, 10 days later, I hemorrhaged a really large blood clot. It was the size of a, of a man's large fist. We went to the ER and my parents were visiting from uh, Europe. They were taking care of my two boys that were six and three and a half and the newborn baby. And so we go to the ER and they do a manual examination and they told me nothing much was going on right now. And there was no lab work done. There was no ultrasounds. And they sent me on my way. And the next evening, 
the same thing happened again. And it was pretty late at night, so I had my husband call the hospital and ask what we should do. It was decided that I should see the doctor the next morning, and again, a manual inspection, no lab work, no ultrasound, nothing. And they sent me on my way. Well, that evening, Friday evening, hemorrhage again. We go back to the ER, they do a manual inspection, and they say, well, not much is coming out right now, it could have been another lining. And they kept me for observation and they just closed the door to the ER. I had no bell to ring, no way to call for help. I was just lying there by myself. And eventually I started bleeding again. I was just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm finally bleeding in the right time. I'm in the ER and I'm bleeding. Now they're going to figure out something is wrong with me. Eventually a nurse comes in to just check on me and she opens that door and she just, her jaw just drops to the floor and she's like, oh! just horrified at the sight of me lying on this table with all this blood around me. And so I hear the call on the loudspeaker, OBGYN, stat to the ER. And all I'm thinking is, well, this is good because finally they're going to figure out something is actually wrong with me. A middle-aged physician comes running in full speed to the ER with a younger physician in tow. And as they examine me, I hemorrhage again. And at this point, it was the fifth time I was hemorrhaging in three days. So I try to sit up to tell the doctor that I am not feeling too good. This doctor obviously had been around the block a couple of times, so he knew what was happening to me. And so he just pushed me back down onto the table and they started tipping the table backwards and my head was going towards the floor and my feet were going up towards the ceiling. The whole room filled with hospital staff and my eyes are at this point are just closed. And I have a nurse on my left trying to place an IV, but my veins are collapsing because I'm now you know, going into shock. As this is going on, the nurse on my right is quoting my blood pressure. She yells out, 50 over 15, hurry. So I am completely aware that I am dying, which is very different from when I was giving birth and in that earthquake, when I had life flash before my eyes and thinking, oh my gosh, this is it, I'm going to die. This was a knowing. I knew that I was dying. And it was shortly after this moment that felt like I was starting to get pulled out of my body. And I was a complete atheist at the time. I was very scientific and my worldview was very materialistic. I had no beliefs in the afterlife, in soul survival, nothing. I'm pleading with God, just please let me live. I have three children under the age of six. They need a mother. And it was shortly after that, that I got pulled out of my body. I find myself hovering about three or four feet above my body. As I'm outside my body, my first thought is, how can I be outside my body and still be me? Because I had no belief in soul survival or that you, that could even happen. There's also a knowing that I belong to the body down there, just like you know you live in, in your house or your apartment, or you know which car is yours that belongs to you, you step inside. I had just stepped outside my body. But there was also a knowing that there was no time in this state. There's also this peace and unconditional love, just very peaceful. There wasn't a panic at all. The panic was right before I left my body. But once I was outside, I was just in amazement. How can I, how can I be me and be outside my body? So now I find myself tumbling through darkness. There was no tunnel. People talk about the tunnel. For me, it was just 
sort of tumbling through outer space. That's what it felt like. But then I arrived to what I call the mid station because it was as if you go into a skyscraper and there are a hundred floors, but you push the button for the 50th floor and you get off at floor 50. And you know there are levels below you in the skyscraper and you know that there are levels above you. That was the feeling when I arrived to this place that there were levels above me and levels below me. But when I get to this place, without my body, I'm just in spirit form. I hear the most beautiful music you can ever imagine. More beautiful than any music that you can make on the earth plane. I turn my spirit towards the right and I see a log cabin, very small log cabin, almost the size of a sauna. And I open the door and I look inside, but it's empty. So then I turn towards the left and I see the exact same image that I saw on the right, another log cabin, just a mirror image of it. And I open the door and I look inside, but it's empty. So I'm wondering where this beautiful music is coming from. And as I'm standing there between these two log cabins, I become aware of this growing white light, almost like a fog of bright light is rolling in behind you. And as I turn my spirit body around, I become completely enveloped in this beautiful, magnificent white light that is just extending out into infinity. This pure white light is a knowing that I am with divine source or God or whatever you want to call that. But that is what we come from. That light is just pure, unconditional love. We carry that light inside of us. We are part of this light. We return to this light when we go to the other side, when we leave the physical world. But in this bright, magnificent white light, there is an outline of angels and the music is coming from the angels. And it's almost like an angelic choir is the closest description I have of this. And I'm thinking as I'm staring at these, I, you know, knowing that I'm with divine source, knowing that the music is coming from these angels, why am I seeing angels? I don't believe in angels. Why do I think I'm with divine source or God? I don't believe in God. So it's fascinating that I had this experience, but it wasn't my belief system. But then I become aware of two spirit guides. And the one on the right is telepathically communicating with the one diagonally to the left in front of me. And he says, what is she doing here? She can't be here. She has to go back. And I say, no, no, no. How can I still be me and be outside of my body? And the spirit guide on my left says, if I told you, you wouldn't remember, but you will remember this. Like images just sort of appear and it is as if I'm standing on the moon and I'm looking down onto the earth from outer space. But around the earth, there is what I called a silvery, glittery fishnet because I grew up in Northern Europe and I rode that little boat for my grandmother as she laid fishnets in the ocean to catch fish for the family to eat. And when she lifted those nets out of the ocean in the early morning sun, the water droplets would sort of shimmer and glitter in the sunlight. So to me, that looked like a silvery, glittery fishnet. And the spirit guide said, everything on earth is connected to each other, but everything on earth is connected 
up to this grid. And with that information, I get sent back to Earth. But that information has stayed with me. And that clairvoyance and clairaudience and clairsentience just kept developing more and more and more after these experiences. After 12 years of having all these uh, clairvoyant and clairaudient experiences, I got a message from the spirit world and I knew that the spirit world had dropped in on me and I had decided that I should go back to work. It had been 12 years. My kids were teenagers now. And I was looking for a degree and I found a medical school for naturopathic medicine that combines herbal medicine and Chinese medicine with pharmaceutical and Western medicine. And I realized it was a medical school and I said, there's no way I can't go to medical school. I'm in my 40s. I can't do this. I closed the computer. I started walking towards the kitchen and the spirit world dropped in on me and said, you have to become a doctor. Uh, you are to combine East and West. You to bring messages and healing to the people. I was enrolled in my prereq classes literally within a week or two. And I went to medical school after completing all of that. And I had to start from the beginning with high school biology because I was a computer science and business major as an undergraduate and went to medical school when I was 54 and graduated in 2016. But these experiences to trust those messages happened because for 12 years, I kept getting uh, information about people being sick in the family or people were going to pass away. Relatives would stop in and say they had passed on. And then I didn't, I wasn't even aware. Uh, one example would be my, my uncle passed away and he came to say that he had passed on to the other side. And I expected my mother to call me from Sweden, where I grew up in Northern Europe, to let me know that her brother had passed away, but she didn't call me the next day. And I waited and I figured, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I got the wrong message. Waited the next day, no call from my mom. And then finally on the third day, my mom calls. And she said, I have something sad to share with you. And I said, yes, I know. Your brother passed away, you know, two, two or three days ago. And she said, how did you know? And I said, he was here. Thank you, Dr. Lottie Valentine. Let's go to the break and we'll be back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. 
But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. In history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and this episode is More Doctors and More Stories. You're going to hear now from four physicians, Dr. Jeff Long, Dr. Melvin Morse, Dr. Tony Lawrence, and Dr. Richard Kent, all medical doctors. Well, as the name near-death experience implies, these people have some event in which they are severely physically compromised. Generally, there's a severe physical malady that occurs very suddenly, often, or at the end of a chronic illness. Near-death experiences are very frequently associated with cessation of heart function or cessation of breathing function, and very often both. And given that 10 seconds after that, that the EEG, a measure of brain electrical activity, goes absolutely flat, it's medically inexplicable that near-death experiencers are having a conscious experience. There's so much more evidence behind something more going on with near-death experiences, something that is not medically explicable. There are blind people, including people that are blind from birth, that have near-death experiences, and for most of them, it's a visual experience. That is absolutely medically inexplicable. These are people that are blind that for the first experience in their life where they've had vision and can see things in the world was during their near-death experience. There is no other explanation for that. Time and time again, we hear accounts of people that had their near-death experience and their consciousness separates from their body. So from a vantage point of their consciousness apart from their body, they're able to see and hear what's going on around them while they're being resuscitated. Uh, very often they can see incredible detail of, this, of the events going on around them. Out of all the near-death experiencers that I've studied that had their consciousness come apart from their body and where they were seeing earthly everyday events, uh, essentially all of them, what they describe, has been absolutely plausible. And of all the near-death experiencers I've seen who actually went and sought out verification of what they saw while their consciousness was apart from the body, uh, every single time, with only one exception, what they saw was as or heard was absolutely correct. And there is no explanation for that, for consciousness apart from the body. 
at the time you're having a cardiopulmonary arrest. To people that think that near-death experience is not legitimate, I would remind them that there's at least 12 to 15 million Americans that have had near-death experience. This is such an enormous number of a shared experience that so greatly affects their life that no matter what the cause of near-death experience, no matter what your idea is about why it occurs, I think there's no question, given the number of lives that it's impacted, that it makes sense to study it. It's an incredible phenomenon, and again, the implications are enormous. The near-death experience is, in fact, the dying experience. We will all have this experience when we die. The interpretation of the experience is in dispute. Nevertheless, it's a scientific fact, not a belief system that we will have this experience when we die. There have been three major scientific studies of near-death experiences in the last 15 years. And all three of these studies document that these experiences are real and they'll happen to us all when we die. So the old ideas that these experiences are caused by a lack of oxygen to the brain or are hallucinations caused by chaos in the brain at the point of death are caused by the drugs that are given uh, to uh, patients uh, that we resuscitate uh, when we're dying. Those ideas um, were, of course, respectable scientific theories, but turned out to not be true. In fact, near-death experiences are the dying experience. And that's a scientific fact, not an opinion. I think in terms of, yes, certainly in terms of the consistency of the testimonies in near-death experiences, it suggests that the, the experience is a reality which is not purely the product of brain chemicals because I mean, we know from studies of the effects of drugs ordinarily that if you give one person a drug and then give the same drug to another person, they'll have two completely different experiences. There might be broad similarities, but not the level of consistency you find with a near-death experience. Hallucinations tend to be very disordered experiences, and they're nothing like the highly ordered and structured experience that you have with near-death experience. On my website, I specifically asked the question, was the experience dreamlike in any way? And I've actually recently done a formal study of that. Near-death experiencers are emphatic when asked directly, and I did, was the experience dreamlike in any way? The answer is a resounding no. It isn't close at all to a dream. Dreams tend to bounce around a little bit. They don't tend not to have order or structure. Uh, very often a dream will end without it reaching a logical conclusion in the sequence of events. Not so with near-death experiences. They're highly structured, highly ordered. They tend to have a very logical initial part of the experience. And at the end of a very orderly and structured experience, there's a very orderly and structure end, structured end of the experience. And that's when the experience ends. Near-death experiences are nothing like dreams. If you've had a frightening near-death experience like some of those that I've described, there is no question that when you have that experience, this forces you to look at yourself. This is something that really shakes up your life in a major way. You've really got to sit down with yourself and ask yourself, why did this happen? What's really going on here? Is this the reality? It really forces you to understand what is the reality of what's going to happen when I die. It's just a horrendous, awful place. It's a place where people are terrified, are frightened, um, and people even just who've seen hell, even years later, 
they recoil in horror at what they saw there, just a place of awfulness. Um, I've interviewed probably over 300 people who've had these experiences, um, and all of them have been dramatically changed. Their lives have been changed by these near-death experiences. You can't say that about hallucinations. Hallucinations simply aren't life-changing experiences, whereas a near-death experiences, um, when you meet Jesus Christ and either see heaven or hell, they are dramatic riveting, life-changing experiences and almost invariably people's lives are dramatically altered as a result of these experiences. So personally, and also because of the fact that the near-death experience accounts are so are remarkably similar not only to each other but also to the Bible, I personally believe that these, these are real events and people are describing real events. If you read any newspaper today, you'll talk about, you'll, you'll read about people having a near-death experience of a type, leaving their body and going along a tunnel and, meet, and going to a place of light. It's only one who get, those who get really close to who recognize Jesus Christ. Um, they describe him as nearly six foot tall, but radiating li uh, light, tremendous amount of light coming from him, um, from his face and from his chest and from his arms and from his legs. Um, but people, just, it's not just the appearance of Jesus, um, it's the fact that they feel in the presence of so much love. Um, many people said they've never felt, they've never felt like that. They've never felt so completely um, surrounded uh, by love, as powerful as that. Next, here's Dr. Bruce Grayson. Most near-death experiences around the world talk about an increased sense of spirituality after a near-death experience, by which they mean roughly a sense of connectedness to other people, to nature, to the universe, to the divine. One of the questions that people often ask about near-death experience is whether they provide proof that we survive death. They don't provide proof for other people. They certainly provide proof for the experiencer, but not for the rest of us. But there are some experiences that do provide something that's at least evidence, if not proof. And those are cases in which the experiencer encounters a deceased individual who was not known at the time to have died. One person that I know, Jack, was hospitalized in his mid-20s, and he had one nurse who worked with him every day. And one day she told him that she was going to be taking the long weekend off and there'd be other nurses substituting for her. And while she was gone, he had another respiratory arrest where he had to be resuscitated. And during that arrest, he had a near-death experience in which he found himself in a beautiful pastoral scene. And there to his surprise was this nurse, Anita, walking towards him. And she said, Jack, you can't stay here with me. You need to go back into your body. And I want you to find my parents and tell them that I love them and I'm sorry I wrecked the red MGB. He then woke up back in his body in his hospital bed tried to tell this to the first nurse who walked into his room, she got very upset and left the room in a hurry. It turned out that this nurse of his, Anita, had taken the weekend off to celebrate her birthday and her parents had surprised her with the gift of a red MGB for her 21st birthday. She got very excited, jumped in the car, took off for a drive, lost control, crashed into a telephone pole, and died just a few hours before Jack's near-death experience. Now, there's no way he could have known or expected that she was going to be dead, and certainly no way he could have known how she died, and yet he did. And that seems to be evidence that something about this nurse, Anita, 
still persisted after her death and was able to communicate accurate information to Jack. Does that mean we live forever? Not necessarily. It certainly means something about our minds can survive death of the body, at least for a time. Virtually every near-death experiencer that I've talked to has said without any doubt in their minds that we do continue after death. No matter how they describe their NDE, they describe having existed without their physical bodies, when their physical bodies were essentially dead, and yet they were feeling better than ever. There's got to be more to the world than just the physical realm to explain these events. I think the ultimate question raised by near-death experiences is, what are we as human beings? Are we just physical machines? Are we spiritual beings? Are we some amalgam of both? I don't know the answers, but now I'm much more comfortable with not having the answers. I think the important part of near-death experiences is what they tell us about this life we're in now, that we're all interconnected, that we aren't individual people, but we're part of something greater. One of the doctors talked about negative near-death experiences. It's a very, very small percentage of people that have these. And what causes them? Does it mean there's really a hell? I don't think so. When we have near-death experiences, it is shown that what we believe in appears for us. So people who believe in Christianity, there's Jesus. People who are atheists might have a representation of just a light. I've spoken to people that have tried taking their own life, and they have had negative experiences that told them, I want to live. Also, depending on our state of mind or the fear, things could show up negatively. But then there's always that little bit of light that they're drawn to that shows them the bigger picture. So let's go to the break and we'll be back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, 
only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. How many doctor's stories is enough, you might ask? Is more better than less? Well, absolutely it is. Being human, our ego minds want to convince us that the rest of the world doesn't believe in the afterlife and that if we open our mouths, people will think we're crazy. So, If we have enough doctors and enough scientists and enough atheists and enough regular people who talk about these extraordinary experiences, then the tipping point can eventually occur. When we realize more people talk about this than don't, and you can have a backbone to share what some of the leading science and doctors are doing, then I think we're free to talk about our beliefs instead of that crazy mind of ours saying, if you tell people, they're going to think you're crazy. If you review past episodes of Shades of the Afterlife, there's been dozens of doctors that we've heard stories from. In this episode alone, by the time we're done, there'll be 10 or 11 different stories you've heard from doctors. Hopefully, that'll make a difference to you to know that medical personnel believe in the afterlife. So here's a story of a physician who wishes to remain nameless, who added a story just recently to the IANS.org list of near-death experiences. He or she says, I had been ill with chest pain, fever, headache, night sweats for about a week, but had not missed work. We were short-staffed. I could walk and think. I just wore a mask around the patient's. I finished rounds and went to the urgent care clinic. Scans showed suspicious nodules in my lungs. A CAT scan of my chest resulted in me being mediflighted to a CVICU after being diagnosed with a dissecting aortic aneurysm. After arrival at the care center, a regular echocardiogram did not support the diagnosis of an aortic aneurysm. I was sedated due to erratic high blood pressure and went to the OR with plans for cathothoracic surgery and was prepped for heart bypass and intubated. They go on with much of the procedure that was happening It was en route to this procedure that the near-death experience occurred. I was chatting with my nurse, who was pushing me down a long, underground, empty tunnel in a wheelchair. As we approached the elevator, I realized that I was losing my vision. 
It worsened, and I mentioned it to my nurse. She asked if I needed to return to the CVICU, and I told her, I think so, as I could no longer see and I was losing my hearing. I tried to put my head down, but was about to fall out of the wheelchair, and she yanked me upright by my hair and gown. That is the last thing I recall. The next recollection I had is being in a vast, seemingly endless space filled with brilliant white light. I recall no limits on perception, no binocular vision, but panoramic, spherical, 360-degree vision. I spent what seemed like a long time, certainly not minutes, hours, or days, more like weeks, months, eons. Time was meaningless. I was with a group of beings that I felt I had known for a very long time. Seems like more than 12 and less than 25. I have a vague recollection of having my earthly experiences downloaded and having a great reunion with these beings and a great period of relaxation and recuperation. Communication was nonverbal and instantaneous. It involved relaying entire occurrences, concepts, and events with associated emotions, not just words and sentences. Eventually, a consensus was reached that I should return to the life I had as it was unfinished. I don't recall how I appeared, but recall how the other beings appeared as I departed from them. They were brilliant, jewel-bright points of scintillating light. Only two colors, though, emerald green and deep purple. I recall them receding into the distance. The next memory is being a point of consciousness hovering. I don't recall any sound. I was back to having binocular vision, and my entire field of vision was taken up by what I eventually realized was a face. I recall pondering the significance of this thing and eventually realized it was a being, but recall feeling pity for it and perceiving it as childlike. I felt a sense of compassion as I recognized it was suffering. I recall the eyes staring and the mouth being open. With the feeling of compassion came an instantaneous sense of connection, and I was suddenly flipped 180 degrees and sucked back into the face, body, and the memory of who I was and the circumstances of where I was. I could hear again, and I could hear the medical staff yelling orders. I was drenched in sweat and felt awful and very weak and hurt all over. Later, I learned I had a seizure. I recall opening my eyes and seeing outward as if looking out of a narrow tunnel, central vision only, and looking up to see a bald-headed man leaning over me above the tunnel. Someone on my left was fumbling under my gown, trying to put on defibrillator pads, then asked, should I take them off? Someone else yelled, no, we may lose them again. About the same time, I was thinking that I must have just died. The story goes on for quite a bit here, so I won't read it to you, but this person did have cardiac arrest and did flatline. So it's an extraordinary story, again, by a medical doctor. And one more for you. A retired end-of-life doctor has revealed what happens when you die. Dr. Catherine Mannix specializes in palliative and end-of-life care 
and describes the transition to death as a process mirroring birth. She has used her 30 years in the profession to inspire her to write books with the end in mind and listen, and believes when the time comes, it is probably not as bad as you're expecting. Dr. Mannix is keen to break down the taboo around the subject and encourage people to talk about dying more. She said the whole journey is made much easier for the person who's coming to the end of their life and their family if everything is kept up front. She says we've lost the rich wisdom of normal human dying, and it's time for us to start talking about dying and reclaim that wisdom. Dying, like giving birth, really is just a process. Gradually, people become more tired, more weary. As time goes by, people sleep more and they're less awake. She has seen in her own patients how they can slip in and out of consciousness as they get closer to the end and will often wake up saying that they've had a good sleep. Dr. Mannix said it's clear that it generally doesn't feel frightening in such scenarios and is often quite relaxing for the patient. What is described as the death rattle, she said, is actually a sign that someone is deeply relaxed and is so deeply unconscious that they are not feeling that tickle of saliva as the air bubbles in and out. At the very end of somebody's life, there will be a period of shallow breathing and then one out breath that just isn't followed by another in-breath. Sometimes it's so gentle that families don't even notice that it's happened. She went on to say, normal human dying is really a gentle process, something we can recognize, something we can prepare for, and something we can manage. I chose to end with that story because it is natural for us to fear death, but it is as simple as falling asleep and opening our eyes to a place very similar to Earth and all of our loved ones and pets and things we love are there. I know we all fear pain, and I am definitely a fan of using hospice as they control pain better than anyone and make people comfortable. Without the fear of dying, we don't need to have a fear of living. We can go after our dreams we can make mistakes, we can fail, we can pick ourselves up, we can look back in the past knowing we've done the very best we can. When we transition to the other side, whatever we didn't get done here on earth, we can continue doing. We are supported in all of our efforts by a team of people, even our loved ones cheering us on who try to communicate with us through our thoughts, through our imagination, through our feelings, letting us know that we are loved and that we are never alone. My friend, we are an immortal soul and our life here makes a difference. And there's a reason I think we each have one, whether it's growth for the soul, learning, experiencing, let's each make the most of it, okay? It's like a game we're playing. And we don't know what we get when we win. But there is something grand across the horizon. So we're going to play this game the very best that we can. Death, what a great teacher you are. Yet few of us elect to take your class and learn about life. That is the essence of death's teaching. Death is not an elective 
we must all take the class. The wise students audit the class in their early years and find enlightenment. They are prepared when graduation day comes. It is your commencement. Those are the words by Dr. Bernie Siegel, author of Love, Medicine, and Miracles, a good friend of my father's who wrote the foreword of my book, We Don't Die. I'd like to make a quick shout out to Tina Turner, who has passed away and know that she did believe in life after death. She's got an excellent book, Happiness Becomes You, A Guide to Changing Your Life for Good. I'm sure Tina will keep very busy, inspiring and entertaining in the hereafter. Well, that's our episode for today. And a reminder, come visit me, wedontdie.com. Come to one of our classes or events. I'd love to see you. I'm Sandra Champlain. Thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.